0: Welcome to the Stripped Money Podcast with Lungile. Thank you for giving us your ears as we break down money to its bare bones, letting you know how your money can work for you.
1: Welcome back to Stripped Money Conversations. My name is Lungile Mashiho and I am your host. I've received so many requests to cover buying and investing in property. And today I'm so excited to cover the legal aspect of purchasing a property. After falling in love with a property, you have to sign on the dotted line. How do you ensure that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into? Joining me today is Wusi Matebula. He is a property investor and attorney who is very passionate about sharing insights on his information hub, The Property Link. And today we're stripping down the legal aspect of purchasing a property. Welcome to Strip Money Conversations, Lucy. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, Lungi. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. I hope uh, I can help with whatever I can.
1: Awesome. Kat, before we start, can you just please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: Yeah, Um, so my name is Vusima Tebula, as you said. Um, In my pastime, in my spare time, I'm a property investor. Um, I happen to be an attorney by profession. And yeah, I'm just passionate about sharing information um, with people, especially information that I think should be readily accessible and especially information that relates to property and property investing because after all, it is a long-term commitment and I think it would be good for to have you know the necessary tools and knowledge you know required to make you know the right kind of purchase or investment before getting yourself into such a long-term um, type of an investment
1: awesome so when I asked the strip money conversations community the questions that they would like to have me ask today an overwhelming amount was regarding sectional titles so I think this episode will be heavily skewed towards that today by the way, if you want to join our community, please sign up on www.stripmoney.co.za. So let's get into it. Firstly, yes. what is a sectional title?
0: Whew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a sectional title, well, as defined, is a, shared or, uh, is, is a shared property where you own a property in and amongst um, a number of other people. So you share common space and you have exclusive use to your area um, of the property, which is your unit. But generally, the idea is that you sh- you own a property in a space that is communal um, with others. So that takes the form in you know apartments, uh, complexes, um, some estates or sectional um, properties. But the general idea is that you share a common you share a property with a number of people. You have common areas which you which you own jointly, and then you each have exclusive use of your own units.
1: Okay. So, what is um, the pros and cons of sectional titles versus standalone properties?
0: Oof. Um, so, I think uh, security is probably um, something that comes top of the mind. Security mm. and. So, in a standalone property, which is typically referred to as a freehold, you own the property on your own and, subject to whatever municipal um, limitations, you can do just about anything that you want uh, on the property. You know, um, you services from whichever municipality it is that uh, that 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 you live in, and you have to cover, you know, on your own all of the costs related to owning um, that property, you know, like I said, including security, you know, making sure that the property is clean, et cetera, and all of those kind of things, you know, taking care of the insurance, um, related to the structure of uh, the building. So that is all your responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like I say, you've got free will um, subject to municipal restrictions to do as you please on the property. So if you chose to demolish the property and build another property, you can do that um, without getting consent from anyone except from the municipality and complying with the necessary regulations. Whereas in a sectional title, um, <clears throat> You know, you own the property with other people, so you are subject to the rules that apply uh, to the sectional property, so you won't have free. To do with the property as you please certain of the things that you would want to do depending on the rules including you know changes to the property especially external changes um you would need to get consent from the body corporate um or the trustees mm-hmm. in that in, in sort of that sectional scheme um making additions to a property in a sectional scheme is extremely difficult and in most instances impossible because most sectional schemes are either apartments or sort of townhouse type uh, sections as opposed to you know estate uh, setups um but the benefits of being in a sectional title i think is that shared community where the security can be a lot more structured and you know the cost can be segregated amongst uh, the 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 owners um the Maintenance and upkeep of the estate can also be shared amongst uh, amongst uh, the owners, so you can employ a garden, a garden service, for instance, you know, yeah. that comes in not only to clean the common areas, but to clean in the individual sort of uh, units um, as well, you know, and I guess it gives that much better um, protection. Uh, if you will, as opposed to being in a standalone, you know, and you're not too reliant on the municipality, if you will, to provide uh, services in terms of picking up, you know, rubbish and and, and refuse and making sure that things work um, in the estate. So I think those are some of the pros and and and, and cons, and I've mixed them a bit um, in the discussion, you know, with not necessarily segregating them, but those are some of the things that you would consider in whether or not you want to get a standalone property. Or a sectional title.
1: Cool. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the questions that were asked, what are some of the legal oversights when it comes to purchasing a property, whether it's for investing or personal use?
0: It's always a tricky question. You know, I've, I've been asked that question so many times, and the funny thing is, you know, in as much as there's so much that happens in the property space, yeah. there isn't really any. Call it one piece of bodywork legislation that deals with purchasing property. You know, there's the Alienation of Land Act, which deals with purchasing certain type of properties in yeah. a particular way. In that act. It doesn't apply to all properties. Um, you know, the Deeds Registry Act deals with the registration of property in the Deeds, um, um, the Deeds Office and the ownership around uh, uh, around property. Um, sectional schemes deals with how sectional uh, the Sectional Schemes Act rather deals with how sectional schemes are open and how they are um, r- supposed to be run and maintained, but not necessarily um, dealing with protection mechanisms for buyers, if you will, or property Mm. owners, if you will. Most of that comes from the common law and case law, just things that have happened over time. Um, Because not even call it the Consumer Protection Act has provisions that specifically deal with property and property ownership. There are certain, mechan- uh, certain mechanisms that can protect purchases when relating to um, cooling off periods um, and the likes, but that is limited to certain types of transactions and not all kinds of um, property um, transactions, you know? So uh, buying property really, honestly, your protection mechanisms, you derive most of them from what we call the common law, which is just law that has been applied over a period of time in South Africa.
1: That just makes
0: me so nervous to buy any property. You've just
1: told me that <laughs> it's
0: very hard to to be safe. The starting point, for instance, is that um, you buy your property footstools. Yes. And the term footstools really means as is. That's yeah. it. You buy the property that that um, the way it is as is. And what what you're owned or owed in return or as an obligation by the seller is for the seller to point out to you all of the defects that are in the property mm-hmm. and should you the property um, you know with certain uh, defects um, that you have not been told about, you then have a remedy in law to enforce you know um against the seller to fix those things but then again it's a whole process you have to go to courts to enforce that if the seller doesn't want to fix them once you told to them on their own accord you yeah. know and the, those yeah. would in any event be latent defects because the starting position is that you have viewed the property you have been shown what are the issues of the property and you have gone and you have bought the property um in that condition you know yeah. it's only something comes up that the seller should have been aware of at the time and made you aware of so that you can factor that into the purchase, that you then have a remedy against the seller. But as is, the remedy is not automatic. You mm-hmm. know, if I buy a property from you and you haven't told me that there was an issue with the roof that you were aware of, if I come to you and say, you need to fix the roof, you, really, you can, say you can were choose whether or not you want to. And then it's left to me to now go to court sue you um to do that you know and that is in respect of properties well let's call them previously owned properties yeah um, in terms of properties yeah you know you can buy the property from a developer or someone who has built the property and if there are any issues you know you can get them to come back and fix the issues through the nhbrc which gives um a, a, a purchases of new developments certain um protections you know Generally, um, the developers will build in a time where they fix snags. It always doesn't go according, you know, to plan. So you have it through the NHPRC. But beyond that, there isn't a body of legislation, certainly, that I'm aware of where I could point you to say, well, in terms of this act, this is the obligation that, you know, X developer has, you know, um, towards towards you. There may be, It may be there, but I'm just not aware of it and I've never come across it in all the time that I've dealt and worked with, you know, in property. It's just, like I say, remedies that are um, derived from the common law over a period of time and certain protection mechanisms that you may have from, you know, certain acts dealing with particular aspects, but nothing that says, here's a piece of legislation that is intended to protect you as a purchaser of property. We just don't have that.
1: That's very interesting. You talk about the NHBRC. So I've gotten to know them very well because of a pro- an investment property that I've recently bought. And we've all discovered, well, everybody living in the complex now has discovered that there's quite a lot of defects within that property, like um, the roof is leaking and all sorts of things, but the developer won't come back and fix them. So we've had to follow this route, which is quite a lengthy process to get them to come and fix this, the whatever the issues are. What are what are the timelines in which one can complain after you've bought a property before you you can engage directly with the NHc?
0: See. See, yeah, that's the tricky. But there isn't called necessarily a timeline, but you'd want yeah. it to be as soon as possible, you know. But sadly, some of the things come up, you know, even years later, yeah. you know. And the size and scale of the developer, they may not even be in existence um, anymore, you know, mm. and reluctant to come back and fix the place well because the money is already spent it's bought the developers Porsche or you know Lamborghini or fancy house and a nice estate and the nice watches and the money is just not there you know so those are one of the things that you can look at in terms of protecting yourself in you know what is the track record of this particular developer you know Mm -hmm. and can I this developer? Have they been in the market for quite some time? If they've been in the market for quite some time, have there been any complaints against this um, developer um, in the market? And all, you should always be wary of new developers. You know, you see a lot of projects that have stood unfit where yes. um, new developers have taken um, up on on certain um, developments because you know everyone thinks it's easy, but then you get into it and you realize how you know capital cost intensive um, mm. it is sort of fall off on the wayside. Um, and you know, if you've bought early into a scheme, you find yourself in trouble if all of your money from your lender or from yourself has been paid up front. And now these guys are not able to finish or complete the scheme. You know, a lot of that does happen. So it is worthwhile researching the developer if you're buying into a new development.
1: Cool. That's a good tip. I'll take it next time before I buy um an <laughs> investment property. Let's get into the world of body corporates. If you're purchasing in a complex, which is what more and more people are doing these days, what are some of the things that you should look at from a body corporate perspective?
0: Yeah. So before you sign on the dotted line, um, Mm -hmm. when you view the place, right, uh, the first question I would normally ask is what is the state and health of the scheme? financially how is the scheme doing so for that to happen you'd want to see the financial statements of the scheme a lot of owners um, try to avoid this Um, they tell you oh no they don't have access to them etc or getting access to them is difficult they're lying each and every person who lives in a sectional scheme ought to be sent financials each and every year and if you into your emails you probably have an email attachment with those. The least you can do is share it to a person who's looking to pr- prospectively purchase um, your unit. you know so that should be the first sort of sign of a problem um, in terms of either the scheme not doing well or the owner not knowing what is happening um, in the scheme. Yeah. Um, two, uh, you would need to ask <clears throat> for the uh, levy statement of that particular unit. So you know exactly how much the levy is that you are mm. in for and you know what may be the issues. You may find that Umuntu has not been paying uh, for a levy for years and they're trying to sneak the sale through without it having gone through the body corporate and then you're left with this bill to pay and it's up to you now to chase this person. You know, to settle the outstanding bill. You know, so it while you're on that,
1: would you be liable yeah. for the the person's um, levies if you buy it, if you buy the property in the owing?
0: The starting point is uh, it used to be, and now there's a bit of confusion. Uh, there was a judgment, and the judgment is not coming to the top of my head. So previously, you would be liable for those costs. Okay. Right? Uh, now there's a judgment that says actually it's the previous owner. Um, who is liable for those costs. But the issue with uh, body corporates is that it becomes difficult to trace the old owner. Mm. And you're the one who's in the property and who's still enjoying the benefits of the property and the services. So they tend to come after you and then it's up to you to go okay. after that person. So it's not an easy or a settled a settled, uh, a settled, matter, you know, mm. so it's a trick, quite honestly, <laughs> you know. But those are the things that you need to look out for, you know, yeah. so for me, would be firstly ask for the financials and try to get financials for, let's say, the preceding three years or so because it will give you a good idea of the state of health of the the scheme ask for the levy statement relating to the particular unit because number one you'll see what the actual cost of the levy is you'll have also a good idea of how much that owner spends you know on electricity or things like that you'll also know from that particular um, statement if there is a special levy or not uh, Mm -hmm. that is being paid Um, and also ask the name of the uh, estate manager you know so and do your own research on who the estate manager is and whether or not there are complaints about them in the market and how they've performed um, in the markets because you know that is very important uh you know the, the 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 how good your estate manager is can be the fine line between you know being in a good um, scheme or not
1: you talked about special levies um can you maybe explain what those are and then maybe Okay, maybe start by explaining what those are, and then I'll follow
0: up with my follow-up question. Okay, so maybe let me start by just levies in general. So levies are paid in a sectional scheme, and they are paid in order to take care of the common needs of um, the the sectional scheme or the state, which will include electricity, it will include um, removing rubbish, garden cleaning, you know, it will include... It will include maintaining uh, driveways, et cetera. So when you see nice complexes, it's better know that people are paying. And that is where all of those nice things uh, come about. Where you find that a scheme may raise a special levy is if certain special works or once-off works need to be done, especially where the scheme has not built or saved up money over time in order to do those works. You know, so maybe there's a general problem with the roofing all around. Complex And, you know, it's felt that let's rather redo all of the roofing um, so that everyone enjoys, you know, the same benefits. There's painting that needs to be done. There's a boundary wall that needs to be rebuilt, um, uh, etc. or, you know, electrical fen- fencing that needs to be installed, new cameras, or certain things that are very expensive that would not be part of the normal levy. Then you will determine what the cost of that is. And each and every unit, depending on the size of the unit, will then make a contribution towards that once-off cost. And that is the special levy, because it's not supposed to be an ongoing thing. It goes on for a limited period of time. And, you know, owners in the state at the um, AGM are open to agree to what that time period is going to be. But you don't want to keep it going on for too long, nor do you want to make it so short that it's overburdensome on the owners and people end up falling behind on their levy commitments, simply because there's now a new special levy that is so high um, that people uh, can't afford. Um, A thing to note though, in terms of, you know, special levies to try and reduce the burden of those, Um, there's a community schemes on board, uh, CSOPS uh, for short, you know, um, that has uh, come into place. And part of their job is to make sure that schemes are healthy. And part of making sure that schemes are healthy, one of the requirements is that schemes need to have a maintenance plan. So in that maintenance plan, you ought to build up enough capital and reserves to ensure that when the large type of works that need to happen, um, they are done at the time that they need to be done, because a lot of schemes tend to fall on that, where there's massive work that needs to be done. Owners can't afford it, nor can they afford to pay for a very high special levy at the time. And then the work is left undone, which over time leads to a deterioration of the estate. You know, if you look at um, certain schemes, for instance, you know, that we may not think of as schemes. If you look at, you know, the old apartment blocks in Hillbrook, for instance, you know, a lot of that. Sort of downrunning started happening because of a lack of investment and main, and money available to maintain those uh, kind of schemes. And over time, as they run down, you know, you reduce your rent to get sort of you know, more people renting in sort of that space or to keep people renting in that space, but the space is never maintained. So it just keeps deteriorating. So part of the role of CSOS is to ensure that schemes have a maintenance plan and contribute a certain amount of money into the maintenance plan so that they can take care of the bigger works or once-off works that need to happen in future.
1: So, if you think or suspect that your body corporate is not 100% ethical, so maybe they're not um, putting away that money for the maintenance plan or you're thinking that they <laughs> stealing a bit of your money for an additional profit, what steps can you
0: follow? Hmm. Yeah. So, because then there need to be collusion between the body corporate and the estate manager, because remember the accounts, yeah. even though... The- owns their accounts and they're in charge of their accounts, most of the transacting is done by the estate manager because that's mm. what the estate manager do, is, is, is there to do. The body corporate members are just trustees um, yes. more than anything. They, they, they really should not be dealing with physical transacting in bank accounts. I know it, it's happened previously, but they should not be doing that. So the first thing that you would need to do probably if you suspect that there's an issue is request for the bank statements you're entitled to the bank statements remember this is your body you're an owner you Mm -hmm. own this place This, this is your show this is your entity you own it so you can request whatever information you want and no one has any say in law to refuse you that information so if you want a blow by blow account of what is happening in the statements or in the accounts that are opened in the name of the body corporate, you are entitled to them as of now, as you sit where you sit. And if you request them, they should be provided to you. So that's the first step. Request for the information so that the information can be provided to you and you can make an assessment on what is going on. The second step would be to try and get the information perhaps at the AGM. You know, um, attend the AGM. I always say to people, it's very important to attend. People don't attend the AGM. They think that it's a waste of time, etc., and all of these things. And yes, it may be a pain, but this is part of the responsibility of being an owner. You know, it's the same attitude if you're not attending an AGM of not attending a school uh, parent meeting. You know, you're just saying, "Well, I don't care about the things that matter most in my life." You are happy to spend hundreds and thousands, or you know, in some instances, millions of rands buying into this uh, sectional scheme but you're not interested in how it's run. How irresponsible could you be? How immature could you be? You know, so the first thing is attend the AGM and get the necessary information or ask the necessary questions at the AGM. Look at the financials when you get them in advance, scrutinize every line item in the financials and ask the questions. If you're not getting the necessary answers, then tell the people that you want the necessary answers. And if not, you know, you simply tell the estate uh, manager that, well, we may as well motion to remove you here because you're not giving us the information that we need in order for us to fully comprehend or understand what is going on in this estate. And if you see that there's money that's gone missing, then you've got to report it Police. Of course, you can also approach uh, CSOS to try and help in mediating um, in this dispute. That's part of what they there for. Uh, I have not engaged with CSOS. I don't know what the success rate is, I don't know what the turnaround times are. Um, but a lot of people in, a, in sectional titles often find themselves against each other in court, which is what CSOs is supposed to minimize. But I guess because it's still happening in the numbers that it is, they're not finding, you know, satisfactory relief uh, from from CSOs. But those are your available remedies, you know, to ask for the information, scrutinize the information, ask the questions. If you're not getting the questions, you remove the people, whether it's the uh, estate manager, you change uh, the trustees at, uh, at at the AGM or prior to that in accordance with the, the rules of uh, the AGM. Um, or, you know, you 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 litigate, you go to court and you open the necessary uh, criminal charges, which actually reminds me its one of the things that I forgot is to also ask for the rules and uh, of the scheme so that you know what you're getting yourself into before you sign that offer to purchase. Because just now the rules say you can't even, you know, make uh, any form of noise after eight o'clock you yes. know, in the evening. You can't now even have a bribe with your family and friends here because there's a neighbor who'll be telling you you are making noise. You know, so you, you you need to you need to ask for that also along with the financials and the levy statement and understanding who the estate manager is.
1: Okay, can one can one complex have more than one estate manager or body corporate? No.
0: No. Okay. That, that that cannot happen. Where that uh, tends to happen is where you've got um, complexes with. A complex, you know. So there's these uh, new larger estates where you've got, you know, five, six estates within a main estate. So each of the smaller estates can have their own estate manager, etc., who is overseen by the, you know, uh, manager in a bigger estate. Um, but I, I try to stay away from those kind of uh, setups uh, personally. For me, the bigger the sectional scheme, the less attractive um, it is. So once we start going beyond, I'd say, a median for me, 30, 40 units, it's not even a consideration for an investment because you've got 1,500 other owners in a sectional scheme, for instance, you know, in some Mm. of the larger sections. What differentiates me from the other 1,499 owners I, I I don't have the patience uh, to be fighting it out in those kind of investments because then it becomes a a turf war on who can get to the lowest the lowest rental and that cannot be good for your investment. So I, you for me you always try to find far smaller complexes in far more exclusive areas where the demand is always going to be high and you're not fighting you know for tenants with 1,006 you know 400 other people or 200 other people that just yeah. never works.
1: That makes yeah. sense. Um, we've talked about how a new owner can be liable for um, the levies on buying an, an existing house or apartment. Yes. How do if if you see that you, you you've fallen in love with this property but the current owner is owing, how mm-hmm. do you ensure that the amount is fully paid by the previous owner? Is there anything that you can do? Obviously, you can talk to them, but is there
0: any legal Yes, you ask the the transferring attorney uh, to withhold a portion of the purchase price that equals to enough of the money to settle the amounts outstanding and only to release those amounts um, once proof has been provided that those amounts outstanding have been settled or that those amounts be paid at the time of transfer to settle those amounts outstanding.
1: Okay that makes sense at least attorneys
0: can certainly do that that is not an that is not an issue
1: okay um in an estate we've talked about the benefits of living in an estate or a complex are that there's that communal um ownership of stuff and obviously some of the expenses are split between a number of people what happens mm-hmm. when other owners do not pay for their lev- levies and their communal le- electricity for example what can you do just to protect your part of the asset?
0: Body the corporate must sue them. There's, 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 there's no other. There's no other way. Uh, there's no other way to do it because it becomes a burden on the on on, on the rest of uh, the estate. So mm. even rules must be clear about what happens to people who fall behind. Uh, on levies, and your estate manager must be very proactive in managing that creditor's uh, that creditor's book. And ultimately, if the person can't pay up, letters of demand and summons must be issued uh, against that person. If it means attachment of the very property to settle that outstanding debt, then so be it. Uh, it's unfortunate, but such is life, because you can't have the other owners carry the burden. Mm. of you know someone else the very idea of a sectional scheme is to split or share the burden amongst the uh, the owners when certain people or other people are not carrying their weight in so far as that is doing the body corporate is well within its rights to enforce a collection of those amounts outstanding i know a lot of people complain would say body corporates are chasing us after money but yeah, it is it's what a it job. is it's part and parcel of being part of this community you need to pay you know, you need to pay for your, for, for your way. Same as, you know, paying for, for school fees. You know, Mahala. Um, mm. got to pay. Yeah.
1: On a similar vein, um, what are your rights as a property owner if your tenant isn't making payments regularly? Because I know you can't kick them out legally, right?
0: Or can you? You can kick them out, but you've got to kick them out following a court process. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> process. it's it's unfortunate um, so maybe let's start let's start here um, in each and every province uh, there's a rental housing tribunal so you can approach rental housing tribunal they have almost a similar standing as the magistrate's court uh, if you will uh, you can approach them to mediate between yourself and the tenant to make sure that everyone abides by the contract and but Generally, when people are not paying, there's already financial problems. Yes. Uh, what you are then left with is evicting uh, a person, you know, and if you're going to evict a person, then you have to do it in terms of the law. And that involves a court application for an eviction order, which is very costly, but it's something that you're going to do, that you're going to have to do, uh, rather in order for you to comply with the law. You can't just come and kick out a person and lock them out. You know, mm-hmm. our law doesn't allow that. And depending on the circumstances of the person, the court may also require you to help them find their alternative, uh, you know, uh, accommodation. You really? know, But you also have, yes, um, it's happened a lot of times and a lot of people take advantage of uh, that provision in, uh, in, in, in sort of in, in, in the law where, you know, um, they say, well, I don't have the means to seek alternative uh, accommodation I would, need, uh, I would need assistance. So it's left on you to help them, you know, find uh, accommodation. And it becomes tricky where, you know, there are minor children involved or vulnerable yeah. people in, in, in involved. The court uh, or society in general mm-hmm. would not want minor children to be left roaming, uh, roaming the streets, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky, you know. And it's also tricky for um, owners because, you know, you've got costs at the back of this. You have probably, you know, like taken out a mortgage a bank which needs to be covered yet Paid, you are yeah. faced with someone who is not paying whom you now need to assist in finding uh, accommodation you know there's this uh, mindset sometimes in society you know that says well because lumi is able to afford buying multiple properties then she's got a lot of money you mm. know um, which may not necessarily be the case because Lumi may have gone and leveraged her position in order for her to be able to buy the properties. But having said that, that should not in itself also ever be an issue because the agreement is that I give you a place to stay and you pay me X amount for the place to stay. So my financial circumstances should never be an issue for um, you know any tenant or anyone. But having said that, the courts will take a look at what is the financial harm that Mm. happens to Uloong and courts are not really big on, you know, you know, those uh, aspects of things in commercial transactions, because it does not impinge a person's, you know, human rights, if you will. Um, if you want to put it like that but also in recovering the cost of someone that hasn't paid um, you've got the deposits that um, the person paid up front so it's important yeah. to make sure that uh, the deposit is paid and also you've got what is called the landlord's uh, hypothec over the movable um, assets or property that the person has in the building so you can actually attach or take those goods um, in, 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 in you evicting that person say when I'll sell them to recover uh, my money and mm. if it's uh, enough money uh, I'll share whatever is above what I do. but if it's less I'm still going to approach a court and sue you to recover uh, the money because it can take time to get a person evicted from a property You know, sometimes mm. a year yes. and Mundo is staying there and they're not paying you in that period and, and that money can really stack up so um, it is a bit tricky, but uh, uh, sadly, um, the law is not on the side of uh, landlords if, when it comes to this aspect.
1: <laughs> You're scaring me so much <laughs> in this conversation, I promise you. <laughs>
0: it's tough. It's tough being a landlord. <laughs>
1: um, I think with that said, what are some of the tips that you can give to somebody who's thinking about investing in property I know before we started the show you had really good stuff to say about what to look out for
0: yeah I'd say for me there's something that I call the investment principles um, when it comes to property you know so firstly uh, you got to look at the location of uh, of the place you know it doesn't matter how much you like the place if it's in the wrong location then you can't change that you know, you can change just about anything in, the, in, in a property for so long as it's in a desired location. And what will inform what a desired location is for a particular is your end user. You know, if you're looking for a young professional, um, for instance gotta ask yourself okay um where does this young professional work where would it make sense for this particular or this kind of young professional um to live what is the kind of property that a young professional of this nature you know would want to would want to live in and therefore you buy a property according to that you know what are the services Um, surrounding um, that property, you know, are there schools close by, are there um, health facilities close by, are there social or entertainment areas, you know, close by, are they accessible, you know, what's the traffic like traveling from that place to main businesses uh, of work? Is it convenient? So you got to look at all of those things and those things must not be convenient for you, but must be convenient for the user, you know, or the end user, because it may be convenient for you, for instance, as Ulungile to stay in a place where traffic is heavy in the morning because you don't need to be in the office um, at 8 o'clock. But for someone who needs to be in the office at 8 o'clock, they will take that into consideration. You know, it doesn't help them to have to now leave their place at you know, 6 o'clock in the morning if they can avoid it. You, know? um, <clears throat> you then also need to do your research you know, um, about uh, about the property. And sometimes that can involve getting, you know, a specialist uh, involved. You know, like we said, when you're buying a sectional title, you know, you need to look at... Uh, the 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 financials you need to look at the rules you need to look at you know the cost of the 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 levy for for that particular unit et cetera. so you, you know you need to have a look at all of those things you need to understand the property itself the structure you know what are the things that you may need to change you know is the plumbing up to scratch are there mm-hmm. any um, renovations that you that you need to do? Is there any ongoing maintenance work that you need to uh, that you need to be aware of? You need to understand not only that particular property and that particular complex, but the surrounding uh, properties and neighborhoods as well. In general, what kind of a neighborhood you know is this? You know, so you have got to understand all of those things. You know, you got to be clear about how much are you willing to spend. Do the research in this area what is the going price for a property of this nature? And if I compare it to other properties of a similar nature in other areas, am I getting a good deal or am I overpaying? you know, um, kind, uh, kind of a situation. One of the examples I make for a lot of um, guys that I speak to is, well, if someone is asking you to pay 1.4 million rand for a two-bedroom um, townhouse or apartment in Midrand, for instance, you need to ask yourself, well, have I lost my marbles? Because that is the same that I'd be spending for a two-bedroom townhouse in Morningside or in Bryanston. You've got to ask yourself then, which is more of the, what is the right English word? <laughs> which is the property or which property in the area is more in demand? Is a two bedroom inside more in demand than a two bedroom in Midrand? It goes without saying, you know, and as much as it may offend uh, certain people, why would you want to spend 1.4 million Rand property in Midrand that is so far out of um, Santon, for instance, where you could get the you know, in Santon? You're clearly going to have more demand in a sort of call it um, far more demand. a a neighborhood and those are the things that you need to ask yourself and you then need to ask yourself well so if i'm actually looking to buy outside these areas by how much actually less should i be spending so i can get the benefit of price by not being in a high demand area you know you got to figure those things out yourself because those are not things that an estate agent if you will or a developer will tell you they're trying to sell you a product they're not here trying help you make an investment no matter what they say don't don't buy it that's just that's a downright lie there's no developer in this world or estate agent that is here to help you make an investment decision it's it's their investment decision they've built they're now trying to sell it to you as quickly as they can because that's how they make their money It being an investment is you you need to be aware of what you're getting yourself into not what someone else is telling is telling you okay those are the things that I'd say look at is you know what's the location of the property? Are you paying a price that is not above um, the median? And if you're going to make an, an investment for me, certainly the price needs to be well below, you know, the median. So if properties are going generally for let's say a million rand in the area, then I'm looking at a property that's heavily discounted uh to that, so it can make an investment sense uh for me because this is certainly not a place that I'd be acquiring to 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 live it. So I need to look and find a bargain sort of in the right area. And to do then your research in terms of what are the amenities and what makes this place comfortable and convenient um, for people and also safe. People, you know, they want safety, you know, they want um, convenience and, and, and people want to be comfortable ultimately.
1: Cool. That's very insightful. The show is called Stripped Money Conversations and I always invite my guests to strip down one term that will have into its simplest
0: form for our listeners? Hmm. Whew, yeah, that is, uh, that is, that is very tricky because there are so many, so many, so many, so many terms, you know, but i say for me, the word, you know, investment, mm. um, we, we make this assumption that because it's an investment, automatically it's going to make us money we need to be careful and very well aware that in an investment, you can also make a loss. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say investing in property like any other form of a business is actually a business and you need to treat it as, as such. You know, so in as much as you can open a clothing store and not make money, you can purchase a property and not make money. So the term investment should not necessarily mean you know it's going to end in a profit or in you making money you just need to be aware of that and because you're making an investment you are doing business and you then need to do the necessary research that comes along with that to ensure that your investment turns out well great that's that's quite a good tip
1: i think this episode for me has been such a learning um experience i i learned quite a bit and Think the highlight for me is that you have to do your research. I mean, buying property is not like buying a, a pair of shoes. I mean, even with that,
0: you have to do a bit of research, but <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> this has yes, I
0: was gonna it. say, well, it <laughs> <laughs> depends on the shoes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think with this, you really have to really put your back in it and don't take it for granted because there's because there's so much that can go wrong. And there's so yep. many um, legalities that you might skip over because yeah. But buying your first house is such a nice feeling because you know it's such an achievement that you can easily skip over all of those things that you need to look at and you might end up buying a dud. So Correct. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It has been really enlightening, and I think I need to have you back again for another episode because <laughs> I think we can share a lot more.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, thank you for for having me. I'm always happy um, to to engage and share information. And yeah, if you feel you need to have me again for a discussion, certainly. Awesome. If people want to
1: get a hold of you, where do they find you?
0: Yeah, I think the best place is uh, my blog page. So I've got a blog page the the property link dot africa you'll find a lot of um, articles that i've written on property and property investment and some of them are just sharing my experiences on investing in property and yeah also uh, my twitter feed every now and again um i put out information on my twitter feed and the handle is at uh, sloane to you don't ask me how that (laughs) about (laughs) 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 <laughs>
1: okay. cool awesome thank you so much again
0: yeah. thank you for listening thank you for giving us your ears catch us on the social media streets on facebook it's stripped the podcast on instagram at stripped underscore the podcast and on the twitter streets stripped underscore podcast <laughs>